Now there's so many things we could start with, for so many different reasons. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt as we look back at round 2, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix once more but we also look forward to round 3 of the upcoming Australian Grand Prix. So let's start with a topic which ended last episode in part, McLaren. Their bottom of the Constructors' Championship after two races. The highest either driver's finish is P15. And now, when you thought things can get any more chaotic, if you will, their technical director, James Key, has left, with the role being split between three different technical directors uh, under the team principal of Andreas Stella. So, with all this happening, Tristan, to your team, how are you feeling? Oh, goodness gracious me. It reminds me a lot of... Um, sort of mclaren gone by i think we've slipped backwards a bit i don't know i don't know about you but when i read the statement because i saw it flashed up originally my my twitter feed and i was like, oh no mm. this isn't good this isn't mm. good at the moment whenever mclaren pops up on my twitter it's usually because um something goes goes um <laughs> terribly wrong um but the the big news you said was James Key leaving. Now James Key, him arriving at McLaren in 2018 was suggested to be a bit of a coup because mm. he was technical director at Toro Rosso um, between 2012 and up until 2018, and brought with him a huge amount of of experience. He was in Sauber. He worked for um, Force India, Spiker. Um, you know, going going back to well 1998 really. So he mm. he is. One of the, the, the leading experts, or was one of the leading experts, I should say, in uh, in Formula 1. Been around and really helped Toro Rosso progress. And I think McLaren expected him to be able to join the team and progress them forwards. And clearly, he, I, I reckon he did do that. Because from you know if he was there since 2018, then he was there for the, the progression up until, I think, really the peak, would you say, in 2021? Yep. Yep. Yeah, and and now things have gone back the wrong way. It was a pretty disastrous year for McLaren last year, uh, especially at the beginning. And I think McLaren says they've he's parted ways, but I think that's you know low key fired. Um, yeah. It reminds me. It reminds me of sort of uh, Eric Boulier, if you remember oh, him at McLaren, yeah, yeah. Um, who was uh, well in in the words of Angus, offensively French. Um, <laughs> he always looked very. Very unhappy. Um, mm. Although maybe that was because he was leading McLaren during the dark days, 2015, 2016, um, until he eventually left the the team there. And it, he kind of left in the same way, I think. Actually, he left mm. the team um, fired, but they don't really <laughs> want to say fired because that's kind of embarrassing. Um, and 
so now McLaren is, well, again in this turmoil. And it kind of reminds me of one of the opening podcasts we did for this particular season, Tom, when I said Mm. that reports from McLaren suggested that upper management were not as good as they should have been. And there was um, a lot of disruption there. So it clearly, clearly those reports from McLaren staff were right. And actually upper management did need to be changed. Mm. Yeah, no smoke without fire, right? Uh, reading the team's statements or Zach Brown's statements and others, they seem very, very confident insofar as saying, oh, no, this has been in the work for many a month. So we've got good upgrades coming for round four, that being the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. But I think really this has been papering over the cracks, the, the past car of the 2019 uh, season, if you will. There's been many damage or much damage done by covid for many different reasons, but the fact that McLaren and other cars were essentially able to roll over their cars of two seasons, maybe papered over the cracks. There was good work done for one season, and that's had a prolongment of success. But when it comes to redesigning and going again, McLaren have fallen by the wayside a bit, and I'm still not convinced that they are going to get these magic upgrades, these silver bullets, if you will, and then boom, be back up there with, let's say, uh, Mercedes, uh, Ferrari, even Aston Martin, really. And I understand why this change has happened, but part of me thinks the moment that you have uh, a failure to reach said targets or indeed deadlines before they actually go into testing, go into practice, then in my mind that is an offence which should deem serious sanction. We saw this previously with Williams, of course, where they, in extremists, failed to bring a car to testing. But this doesn't fall too short of that, too far away from the ultimate disaster, if you will. And you've got to question yourself again. Hey, I hate to sort of repeat myself and don't want to rehash old words, but I don't see how McLaren a team who's able to bring in Oscar Piastri, essentially prize him away from Alpine with promises of a decent salary, I imagine, a good car, at the top for many a season. How they can do that in one hand with some clear evidence to go and show him, oh, we're not just saying this, this isn't just blagging, if you will. We have evidence to back this up with really them tumbling down to the very bottom of the constructors as is now remains to be seen how far uh, they will rise up or indeed they will rise up I don't think they'll finish last but compare that to seasons gone by where we had McLaren vying for P3 P4 in the constructors getting a 1-2 in Italy many successes to literally not finishing last being the sort of very low bar of success if you will so I think that James Key going is Almost a, a a sign, be it sort of a public relations sign, if you will, an optic sign to say we're doing something, which is a good step, arguably too late. But part of me thinks that there'll be more changes that have to come along, be that further up, be that in different uh, paddocks, for example, or indeed in, in each driver's rooms, because I don't think this is just a James Key problem. I fail to see how separating these roles into three different ones which I'm not wholly against but doing that is somehow going to go and magic up some success that was you know failing to appear in times gone by in terms of maybe last season and occasions and the start of this one really and bear in mind as well that you've got uh, David Sanchez coming in from Ferrari which is brilliant I saw that I thought fantastic they're bringing someone in from a a well-known sporting team one of the best one of the oldest in Formula 1 as well he does indeed, does indeed. It's a, it's a shrewder appointment from what I see. But when I see he's joining next year, 2024, January 1st, owing to him being on gardening leave after leaving Ferrari for obvious reasons, that's again a solution for further down the track. So 
I, I fail to see how for how McLaren are so calm and so fine about this all and somehow thinking that they're going to rise up again because it's almost what they do. Because as we saw in 2015-2016, it isn't very simple to go and rise up again once you fall. Many thought, would McLaren fall as they did in 2014-15-16? They did. They've done it again. Do you think they're capable of shooting up again within this season or are we looking at another period of wilderness maybe? Well, if it is a um, a period of wilderness, they're going to have to satisfy their sponsors. I don't know if you saw Tom uh, today. They announced um, that they they've decided to partner um, from twenty twenty three a multi year partnership with Workday, a system for finance, mm. HR, and planning. Um, so, <laughs> Ironic. God, that's literally <laughs> drilled into my mind every time I hear Workday, a system mm. for finance. I always say it again. Um, mm. Yeah, so th- they are. If they are having to clearly, well, I don't know. They're going to have to balance the sponsorship pressures because they have so many partners now. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's all about it's all about the money. Um, because they got to they got to pay Daniel Ricciardo twenty million dollars for doing nothing. But you know that's that wouldn't be my priority at the moment if I was them and getting even more sponsors on because I I think you know I guess you know more is always more but it is. They're going to start losing them if they don't start getting uh, performance. It is well known in in Formula One that uh, you only start you only get sponsors when you're doing well. I mean, look at Haas and how mm. they basically their sponsorship just collapsed. Um, well, and sort of peaking of that collapse in about 2020. And now it's picking back up again. 2015, McLaren had no one, well, basically mm. no one sponsoring them. They were desperate for sponsors sponsors because uh, they well they'd fallen to the wayside and fallen right back. Um, Williams lost basically mm. all their sponsorships because they, they've dropped to the back. So maybe they're trying to do a multi-deal partnership now whilst they, they can get people on board because if this lasts for longer, then they're going to be in some real trouble. Now, David Sanchez, you know, he he is a a good pick for um for the role. And as you say, they split it into three roles. Um, he, if you don't if you don't know, he he worked for Renault and then McLaren in two thousand seven, and and he um was part of the the team that developed the F duct. Oh yes, and so clearly uh, an ingenious uh, gentleman, and that's part of the reason why he's uh, he eventually got up to to Ferrari and um and and basically led the design for developing the 2022 Ferrari car we know how good that was yep so you know this is uh, this is perhaps a, a good move maybe it is a good move maybe they are growing and the key to McLaren's success is is dumping people like James Key and moving into this restructured system to to I guess delegate across um, uh, in sort of a horizontal direction of a hierarchy rather than having everything on one person because often that doesn't work um but i i can't help but thinking that that they've got a long way to go they've got Mm. a a long way to go especially from the back um which i believe mclaren now are and if you ask a piastri i i don't know i'd start i'd start doubting myself start down my choices because he was supposed to have have left alpine for a, a, a a superior car a yep. more prosperous Formula One career, but he might have accidentally Fernando Alonso'd himself. Mm. 
Exactly, exactly. And with talk of there being upgrades, serious upgrades, as I say, they're coming at Azerbaijan, do you think we're looking at the next couple of races as a make or break for McLaren, really? Or can they survive or can they get away with some more duff performances where they're finishing outside the points? But Tom, they're already diminishing those upgrades. They've, they said, please do not expect us to be getting these the good performance out from these upgrades. These are, upgrades are incremental. And they've already started playing down there the development of them. Mm. No, that's not very good. fair. No, not, not good at all. Not good at all. But when there's talk of them hoping these upgrades make them more competitive, as you say, the language there, I mean, looking back at how competitive McLaren were previously, you'd say more competitive would be getting back up there with, let's say, the top five at the very least. But at the moment, they're scrapping around for points. And you wanted yourself as well, Lando Norris, how long is he going to stick this out? Because yeah. we knew before he signed this contract, there were rumours of Red Bull being in for him. Mercedes well, a big one, isn't it? Having a, having a sniff as well. It's big teams showing some serious interest. And you look at Red Bull, for example, you've got both drivers tied down there at the moment, but if Mr. Norris were to come onto the market, as we saw last season, as Drive to Survive documented, all it takes is one driver to go, right, I've had enough for various reasons, be that retirement or going elsewhere, and a whole pack of cars comes um, falling down, if you will, or changing in some aspects. So I think that's the real make or break for me. If Lando Norris sticks it out for the season and then is still there next season, that is the general bellwether, if you will, the uh, canary in the coal mine to see whether McLaren are going to perhaps have a blip of a season and then return to some uh, competitiveness or whether we're going to see a downgrade again in terms of them scrapping around for points versus scrapping around for podiums but years ago. Yeah, um, if I was Lando Norris, I'd, I'd be looking at other places. It, it seems to me like every year drivers go to McLaren expecting the the 2007-2008 experience mm. and would like to copy what Lewis Hamilton did. I, I realise that some of our listeners, Tom, are so young that 2007-2008 yeah. wasn't in their, their like, you know, peripheral memory <laughs> so <laughs> that is crazy I, I, yeah. so you know you may not know that someone started in mclaren because you may start watching when he started in mercedes <laughs> so, mm. um, <laughs> so yeah you know and and you know he had great successes in in mclaren and then went off to mercedes and i think mclaren has never really recovered from that which is a, an absolute shame and and now you expect McLaren to be the one of the midfield teams that uh, uh, you know a really good driver can mm. join, and you know will be pushing for fourth place, fifth place, yeah. and on an occasion be able to to win a race just to prove themselves. But it's becoming more and more likely that Mercedes, that Mercedes and I guess Ferrari have taken over that. Um, this year and that's just pushing um, McLaren back and with the other teams doing much better it wouldn't surprise me if it will all swap so that you know you, you'd look at other other teams instead for for your first drive I mean Toro Rosso has always been a, a to Alfa Tauri and you know and Toro Rosso before were always that the I suppose the the alternative team that would get you into the sport like that but you know if you are a young driver now would you would you pick 
McLaren over someone a, a different program? Would you pick them over Williams? Well, probably not. You know what you're going to get with the Williams. Are you mm. going to are you going to pick a an, an AlphaTauri or maybe or an Alfa Romeo? Yeah, I think I probably would because I, I my guess the biggest issue at the moment with McLaren is you never know what you're going to get with them now. And yep, and that's yep. really stung Oscar Piastri because in it clearly he had an opportunity to to join Alpine and I probably should have took it. Yeah, I mean, you we saw Andreas Seidel leave McLaren to go to uh, Alfa Romeo, soon to be backed by Audi and the project going on there. And we thought to ourselves, is that a coincidence or is that a sign of things to come? And on that point of where drivers will go, you can see where team principals and back uh, members of the staff room will go as well, engineers where they'll go as well, because you've got somewhere like Alfa Romeo, backed by Audi, Sabra as well, who are on the ascendancy in the longer term, or at least there's more money going on there. You've got Alpine, who were very consistent, going from strength to strength in terms of solidifying their place in the midfield, or the best of the rest, aside from the giant competitors, if you will, with the exception being Aston Martin. And if Oscar Piastri is to have fallen foul of, of this, he won't be the first driver either, aside from from uh, many gone by. I mean, Fernando Alonso, for example, he went there expecting great things, returned nonetheless, didn't go very well. Jensen Button left Braun to go there, didn't really pan out as he hoped. Lando Norris panned out well for a bit, but there's so many examples about where great drivers or aspiring drivers have gone there and things just haven't worked out. We've spoken previously about other constructors like Ferrari, for example, where you expect great things of them. Their reputation suggests going there is a good move, backing them as a good move, having good feelings about them in terms of their race pace and their ability to get points is a good move, but in reality, doesn't always pan out. And it really is, in my mind, a sort of crossed, uh, crossroads watershed moment for McLaren moving forwards because you're seeing so many teams on the ascendancy. Williams, for example, not to mention Alpine and uh, Alfa Romeo doing fine seemingly with their driver partnership. There's few sort of lame ducks on the grid, if you will. There's few... Uh, teams that have designed poor cars or have inexperienced driver lineups like in times gone by with Haas for example there's few examples of where you can go oh well okay we'll beat them that's easy so I think dare I say McLaren are semi-delusional if they think they're going to rise up again and solidify let's say a sixth place or a seventh place or a fifth place because in my mind they're scrapping now and until they start scoring some solid points that's not going to change in my mind don't know about you I mean, there is one one glimmer of I guess one glimmer of hope as well is is the investment that the McLaren are making into their um, project. So today they took Lando Norris to the state of the art wind tunnel that McLaren has just finished um, finished building, which is you know massive massive fan in it. I'm a big fan of the project, <laughs> and so is so is everyone else as it as it seems. So yeah, they are investing in it. Hopefully hopefully this will just be a dip we were all very sad at the state of mclaren at the beginning of last season and they ended up rising back up to the the front and perhaps perhaps like the cream um <laughs> in 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 milk it just takes a, a little while for the cream to start floating to the top that the mclaren's the cream by the way they're eventually <laughs> floating back to the top if you 
didn't understand the analogy. For the avoidance of doubt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so moving on then to the team which Lewis Hamilton went to after leaving McLaren Mercedes. And they're looking quite strong compared to round one, for example. Fighting more with the Aston Martins, beating Ferrari, albeit on strategy. Lewis Hamilton rising to fifth place from seventh. Uh, George Russell sniffing around a podium. Toto Wolf saying great <coughs> words like performance gains are there. We want to race a win soon. Um, the language looking better, the performance is looking better, the results are looking better in round two Saudi Arabia. What's your thoughts there about uh, Mercedes, Tristan? Do you think they can carry this on going into Australia? Could there be a, a slight dip, maybe? Well, it's, I, I don't really know what to say about this car because it seems like left, right and centre um, criticism is coming out about it. And that's not only limited to the press and... Lewis Hamilton and, and George Russell, but also from, you know, deep into Mercedes, they really do not like the W14. And Toto mm. Wolff has been very, very vocal about the current direction, um, saying that it, 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 they need to improve it in all areas and they need to, <laughs> they need to overhaul the car and go in a different direction. And so the the rumours are that they are now developing a completely different car. I mean, Toto Wolf basically said as much, but when that car comes out, we're, we've got to wait. I mean, they are basically doing, ironically, an Aston Martin last, from last year. And I know I keep saying this, but I keep saying it because it's true. I mean, Aston Martin mm -hmm. started off with a car that looked different to everyone else's, realised why it looked different to everyone else's, and quickly changed it to look like Red Bulls and have developed it into this car for this year. Mm. Mercedes, you know, kind of made the car work as best they could last year they had that peak in um brazil when george russell would take the, his first win and hamilton would take um second place after quite a fight, good battle there but the evolution and the step forward into this year has just been unacceptable and mercedes know that the limitations they don't think they can make it work and so they're mo they're moving on with it so the question now is is what can they do this year to improve it because mm. the Mercedes design ethos is basically to, to have a massive floor, to have as much ground effect as possible and little, you know, reduces the side pod drag. But because of the way the the regulations are now when it comes to minimum height of the of the car, because that was introduced to stop porpoising and if you remember that, mm -hmm. then and the other other teams basically optimizing the car in, in different ways to to produce actually produce quite a lot of dirty air as it as it turns out tom if you, i don't know if you realize but in <clears throat> saudi arabia the cars are definitely showed themselves to be not as good as following each other as, as last yes. year and part yeah. of the reason is because they you know designers are going to design engineers are going to engineer and they are making the air dirty and the reason why it's getting the air is becoming dirtier than it than it was last year is because they are introducing more complex systems inside the car inside you know, under the floor or within the actual side pods to to get more out of the air um and that means that the cars behind just can't follow as well and that mercedes really can't follow as well as as they would have liked so it's not really looking good for for mercedes at the moment my my sneaking suspicion is they take this year as as well we'll, we'll aim for third I reckon mm. that internally they're saying third, but maybe Ferrari can catch us up, say fourth. They'll take third, fourth. 
And if we don't get a car that looks very similar to Red Bull um, next year, I'll be very, very surprised. Um, but if, if you were a driver, I wonder, Tom, if you were a driver, and let's say you're, you're Lewis Hamilton, right? Let's Go say on, the man. twilight half decade of his career. Mm. And you you the your team says, well, look, we know we got it wrong this year, but basically we're going to redesign the car completely next year to look like the winning car. Do you think that'd be enough to entice you to stay? That that kind of promise of look, there's success, and we're going to copy it. Yes, well, the clock is ticking, isn't it, firmly on Lewis Hamilton's career? I think few people thought he'd be fighting for world championships at his current age and uh, sort of years gone by, if you will. Granted, there's been exceptions to that rule of once you get older, you fall down the pecking order in terms of performance. Fernando Alonso being a good example of that but I don't know if a promise of we'll do better next year Lewis is good enough really because he was told that last year and it's one thing to get the regulations wrong after there's been the biggest regulatory change in the sports history it's another thing to make the same mistake again so if I were Lewis Hamilton I would be not necessarily angling for a move per se but just sort of saying to the teams out there who could promise me a better deal I am open to a conversation I know that's Something he's not saying at the moment. Both him and Mercedes very much in lockstep saying, no, we're going to work together. There's no need for us to part ways. It'd be wrong for both parties. I understand that I get that owing to the credit in the bank that both have, uh, namely Mercedes with their world uh, championship designing ability, if you will, on many different occasions. But as we say so many times, there's peaks and troughs for different teams in Formula 1. McLaren, I think, have peaked, and I think the Mercedes may have peaked now as well, and I think we're going into an era of dominance by Red Bull, where Red Bull will always be sniffing around the top step of the podium, the second, and maybe, well, the third on a bad day, put it that way. So, if I'm Hamilton, I'm thinking of perhaps going elsewhere, but not nailing my colours to the mast, really, because... I mean, we can say so many things about different drivers in terms of, oh, they should move early, oh, they should have moved earlier, this, that and the other. But when you're Lewis Hamilton, who's won the same amount of world championships as Michael Schumacher, when I think he still has his view that he was robbed of that championship in 2021, I, I won't pass current on that at the moment, but when you have that desire to win again and that sort of sense of injustice, then I think you're perhaps going to be looking elsewhere. Do you think he's perhaps thinking of a move secretly. I know publicly it's very much a no, I'm staying with Mercedes, but do you think at the back of his mind, or indeed in his inner circle, people are going, well, it's worth having a conversation with other teams, maybe? Oh, well, he's probably going to go to uh, to Ferrari, if, if rumours are true. Mm. <laughs> They've been rumouring that, that for, <laughs> for years. Um, he's not going to go to Ferrari. I, no, I think he's going to stay where he is, actually. I think a Mercedes... Um, you know, he... In t- today, there was an article about... Um, about uh, his 10 years since his Mercedes debut. Um, and that was, uh, this was with uh, Formula One. And, you know, he, he said that people always said that, you know, he was wrong. Um, but, you know, he may, he definitely came across that he wanted to, to be in Mercedes still. And um, he thinks he's, you know, in the right team. So I, I don't think he's, he's going to move on from there. I think definitely his, his options would be very, very limited. Um, but it's just going to be a matter of, of Mercedes getting their act together. And unfortunately, it, as I think we'll also discuss when we come on to, to Ferrari shortly, you know, when it's a real shame that when you look at the, the teams this year and the diversity of concept that there is, you've got, well, you've got three, three or four different aero designs. You've got Mercedes's aero design. You've got Ferrari's 
concept and you've got Red Bulls and then you got these hybrids and I would I would say that someone like Alpine fits into there a little bit. So, you know, maybe let's say three and a half, right? You've got three and a half design concepts at the moment, but it's going to be whittled down. Mm. Probably next year there'll be two. The year after that, maybe one, which is Red Bulls, because the Ferrari's exploits um, for the, the bendy floor has been... Um, well, that exploit is that loophole has been closed by a technical directive. Um, yeah, I can't. Remember, I think it's thirty nine, but don't quote me on that. Um, and Mercedes just doesn't work. Just doesn't work at all. So it, you know, th- that the really nice thing about the new, new design, the new rules, and and the reason I always look forward to it is because you get these opportunities for you know teams to break out of the gates with with new concepts, with new ideas. You know, and by the end of it, I think you get basically one. And so Mercedes is giving up on theirs. They're not going to waste their time, especially when in a couple of years' time we'll have the new engine rules coming through as well. They can't waste their time yes. um, with a with a failing aero design if the engine designs have to be updated to take into account the bigger batteries, the more mm. um, the higher kilowatt output from the electrical motors and things like that. And so I think basically we're going to get a uh, a hybrid um so basically like i would call a red bull plus sort of yep. model um and at the moment i think the people that are doing that the the most and doing that the best is perhaps aston martin and yep. so you know we although it's really great that that toto has said oh well we're gonna be you know redesigning the car i mean to be honest i think the, the boat's kind of been missed with that i think they should have done that last year mm-hmm. a, a, um but this is what happens when you don't have as much wind tunnel time. You know, Aston Martin did have way more wind tunnel. We can't forget that more wind tunnel time um, because they, you know, did so badly last year to develop the car this year. And Mercedes is going to have to try and capitalize that as well um, to, to do better. So uh, I think when discussing Mercedes this year, I think it's going to be really interesting to see whether or not they can scrape anything together. A little part of me wants them to realize the key to unlocking the success Hmm. of the no side pod design that massive floor design so that basically we can have two different designs of cars because i don't know if you remember by the end of end of 2021 when the rules were changed and the designs changed you know that 2021 season all the cars looked very very similar they were the same sort of design ethos behind them and unfortunately there there is always going to be that um that element of of combining um the designs but mercedes need to get on that as soon as possible Mm -hmm. and taking you back to that toto wolf quote before we move on to ferrari that wants to win races soon do you think mercedes will win a race this season or is that not impossible really well nothing's impossible but i would find it i find highly unusual if they did Mm. now luckily for them ferrari's not doing as well as we were expecting um and again, we'll come on to that in a moment. But I, I know I say no, never say never. And there are unusual races in every season. And the, we cannot forget that when McLaren won two years ago, well, they weren't the fastest car on the on the track. You know, they were fourth. So it it is possible, absolutely. But I think it's going to have it's going to be an unusual situation um maybe like a, a really rainy day 
but when they do, when when that comes along, every other team thinks the same thing. I mean, we said the same thing about Aston Martin. Well, Aston Martin can't win unless it rains. So we're going to have one rainy rainy race this year and we're going to be like, well, who's going to win? Mercedes or Aston Martin? They're both going to have to capitalise on it. And in the end, it may well be Red Bull because Max is really good in the wet. Uh, although so is Lance Stroll. I want to mention Lance Stroll is pretty good in the wet as well. So this may be, maybe his year, if if the right weather conditions come out on qualifying and the race day, you know, it, Lance is, is good in the rain. So I have, I have high hopes for that young gentleman this year. Absolutely. I mean, that would be quite a funny image though in my mind saying Max Verstappen and Lance Stroll battling it out for a race when there's a bit of a sort of David and Goliath imagery going on there. I don't know about yourselves. Mm. But um, I suppose going on now to Ferrari after we've been hinting at that for so long now, I think the story of Jeddah for them is good qualifying pace. P2 for Leclerc before he was docked down owing to a penalty in P4 for science, but bad race pace. Quotes coming out of Ferrari from the drivers like, we need some upgrades, lots of work needed everywhere. How Ferrari taken a step back, Tristan, this weekend, do you feel? Well, yes. Did you see... Well, I saw anyway. I'm not sure if you did. Do you <laughs> see the... Uh, so if you, if you look at the how much pace that Ferrari have actually added to the car this year over last year... It, it's equated to four tenths of a second. Mm. Ferrari Ouch. have the the lowest performance increase of any team from last year to this year. Yeesh. So that tells me that they have just not been able to develop the car. And you know wh- why haven't they been able to develop the car? Well, in, in my opinion, and uh, I'm just asking myself questions at this point. Why, why Tristan? Well, um, <laughs> it's because. Well, it's because I think part of the reason is the, the loophole closed that allowed them to exploit the um, the bendy floor so they can't run the car as low as they want. Um, but And so that means they're... And I think actually most of their design was built around this concept. And you might be thinking, well, why on earth would Ferrari design their whole car around one small exploitation well the the answer to that is because they've done it before don't forget mm. do you remember that the the, en- the engine um the the engine scandal between ferrari and well the rest of oh, the paddock yes. Tom? yes 2019 yes. right mm. so they got discovered as having a pretty dodgy engine and then boom 2020 <laughs> they came out with a well a much more should we say I don't want to say legal because it implies the previous one wasn't legal, but you know, a, a, an engine that was very much not in the grey area of legality, and mm. suddenly they were way behind everyone else, and every Ferrari-powered um, team struggled as well. So Ferrari, I think, have developed have basically um, developed their whole car around this exploitation, and and now it's backfiring and that prov- that combined with reliability issues is going to cause them massive issues because every so so um charles leclerc has now burnt through his whole allocation of yep. el- electronic control units so in the race he had a 10 place grid penalty i think last year i said uh, sorry last week i said 10 second penalty i meant 10 place penalty so yes he managed to qualify well but he had to go back 10 places mm. and so these these reliability issues now being picked up on by um by Carlos Sainz as well who said you know that they've got to do better because they they are it's worrying him so yeah i think all round ferrari have lost pace um in terms of of their their delta between themselves and other teams which means other teams 
are catching up on them. The reliability issues are coming to the forefront of their minds. And that bear in mind, the car wasn't exactly reliable last year. No. I reckon Ferrari basically, you know, well, lost itself the most points. In fact, um, I think Charles Leclerc even said that. And and now they're at a point where everyone else is caught up with them. And so I can't, I can't see them being able to, well, really reclaim the the successes and the the prestige that they had last year i mean my goodness it's a pretty looking car it really is yeah but it's it's well maybe it's 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 all looks um but yeah no no um substance behind it all style and no substance Mm. I was really surprised at how poorly ferrari did i thought they'd be at least you know battling it out with let's say i don't know Aston Martin of Alonso and a good day, but firmly beating Mercedes. But now, in theory at least, looking at Jeddah in isolation, they're the fourth fastest car, and that is a big downgrade. That is a big loss yeah. of progress, if you will, when we when we consider that previously there was talk of them being the second team in terms of the packing order bus behind uh, Red Bull with ease, really. But that's no longer the case. Now, there's a question to be had about whether this is just a blip, whether this is just how they do at a Saudi Arabia type track where it's essentially all full throttle throughout and um, they're perhaps not good in long-term pace. But uh, it remains to be seen in my mind. When we have not only those issues but also mistakes again when it comes to comms, I believe Leclerc was misinformed about how fast he could go as the safety car was coming out. Granted, not a cataclysmic error, but when those errors are happening again, coupled with poor pace, how well can you do? Well, probably about P7 if you're Leclerc, for example, after rising from P12. Probably about P6 if you're Carlos Sainz, for example. When it comes to Ferrari, we realise they've not got the best car this season. Their their chance to get a world championship outright has sailed them by. But they're now in a sort of 2021 situation, in my mind, where they're qualifying well. The raw pace in terms of a Saturday qualification is fine but race pace is is lacking really which means the communication strategy and mistakes really must be avoided it's got to be a seamless weekend in the paddock for ferrari to get even close to the podiums really at this place so um yeah same old mistakes really it seems it seems that despite Mattia Bonotto going and there being a clear out of the house and Fred Vasseur coming in and uh, organising an investigation into various different aspects and there being a new era for Ferrari in many different ways, it's the same old mistakes again, which is so annoying. But I suppose for Ferrari fans and for Formula 1 fans, they're not falling from so high as they fell last season, which is doesn't make any better. Not great at all, but at least it makes it a softer landing, if you will. But similar to McLaren, I think that we're looking at a period now where Ferrari aren't going to be fighting for the top place of the podium for, dare I say, a while now, unless they really get their act together, which they still hope that that can happen, but I'm not convinced, judging by this weekend alone. Yeah, I mean, I I have no sympathy for Ferrari fans. I'm a McLaren fan. Join the club Mm. with your um, Uh, (laughs) self-pity. Um yeah it's 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 really difficult as you say there, there there are some unique characteristics about saudi arabia the fact that you know it is it's incredibly well it's incredibly thin track and uh, a stupidly high speed full throttle so as we go to the tracks which are a bit slower um they might well be able to recover a little bit but there's no there's no hiding the fact that they are they are just slower that's it they're having to yeah. Especially in terms of Red Bull, I think I said this last year. They're just running more drag than than Red Bull. They've got bigger bigger wings. They can't produce as as much um, ground effect, and 
that just means they're at disadvantage. I, I think, I think they've got a bit of catching up to do this year, and maybe as well we we you know line their car towards more like a, a Red Bull style car, which is you know, something that I think they're gonna have to take on their chin um, a little bit. You know, ditching that um, design ethos that makes the car so unique looking. Well, if it's not working anymore, it's not working. But mm. clearly, I think. I'm quite excited to see how far we're able to develop the car. And I take advantage of the fact that Red Bull won't be able to develop theirs. I think that's the yeah. one the one thing that will make this more interesting as we go forward. Fact is, Red Bull can't develop the car very much going forward, and everyone else can. Um, and so what I would say is if you're looking at this season and, and feeling a little bit down about it, remember that we have been here before and everyone does catch up. And the yep. people at the top are playing with a handicap. It might not be apparent now, but it, it really will be, I hope, very, very soon. Or, if not very, very soon, quite soon. So hang hang in there and uh, pick another team to, to you know, root for. If you, if, you know, I saw Ferrari put out... I saw Formula 1 put out the, the you know, a, a post that said, these are your contenders for this year's Australian Grand Prix. And it had 20 pictures, and I expected it just to be 20 pictures of Max Verstappen, but it wasn't, it was for the whole grid. But, um, you know, that's how it feels at the moment. It does, but there's reasons to be cheerful, but maybe not in this Grand Prix coming up, the Australian Grand Prix round three. Taking us back to last year, that man Leclerc qualified P1, converted that. Meanwhile, he was joined by Perez in second and George Russell in third after the chequered flag on the podiums. But for the upcoming race, it's very much a clean slate, new beginning for all. So Tristan, who's going to be on the podium this time around? Well, I think number one is going to be a certain Max Verstappen. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> a it's it's pretty much a, a safe bet at this point. Although last time that happened, I believe you, Tom, predicted it was going to be Sergio Perez who won. So yes. you know, I, I I may well I may well be wrong, but it gets more interesting when we look at second and and third place. I I am hoping that Alonso can keep a streak up. Uh, because I, I'm now having to to root for a team, given that my team McLaren is right at the back. Let's I'm uh, mm. picked um, Fernando Alonso this year. Seems like he's on the upward trajectory, and I think he's going to be fighting for second place. Um, mm. Third place though, third place. I think it we're we're looking at an Aston Martin two three finish. Ooh, okay. Right. Uh, we we have seen a Lance Stroll revival this year, and he seems to be he seems to be challenging a little bit more than. Um, Alonso a little bit more than we perhaps were expecting and I think if they play the team game right we could get both Aston Martins so what's going to happen to Sergio Perez I, 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 you know, I hear you say well, Sergio <laughs> Perez. well I reckon Sergio Perez is going to crash in the first corner the first Ooh. corner at Albert Park often receives uh, a, well should we say um, a little bit more action than, than uh, we would perhaps like um, even though they've they've uh, sort of revised it just a, a, a smidge um i still think that there's going to be some drama at the front especially usually when you're looking at the person fighting for uh, second and third place off the line uh, so i think max is going to steam ahead and then perez is going to going to sort of crash into um someone maybe a ferrari maybe it'll be like perez and leclerc crash out and that will leave fernando alonso to sail forward and uh, lance stroll to sort of bumble his way through as well into the other um <laughs> the last step of the podium 
Excellent, excellent. Um, so in my mind, it's slightly different. I'm going for Perez to win again. I think he's driving out of his skin. Probably the best driving he's ever done in his career, aside from the purple patch uh, at the latter stages of his racing point career, particularly the win at the Sakir Grand Prix in 2020. He's going to keep that up, get P1. Verstappen will be second. I think he's going to have a strong weekend, but Perez will, by hook or by crook, pip him. And looking back at... The prior race of 2022, where Leclerc won this, I think Leclerc is going to somehow get himself onto that podium in third place, and Alonso will retire, receiving no points. There we go. Oh, poor, <laughs> poor Alonso. Not looking up for him, is it? According to you. But according to me, he's looking brilliant. Mm. And finally, before we wrap up then, Tristan, aside from the top three, who needs to have a big weekend, be that driver or constructor? Well, given that McLaren is signing on new partners and there are big questions surrounding Lando Norris and his future at the team, I think they've got to have a big weekend. Oscar Piastri, this is going to be his first home race. Yeah. And he doesn't want to be doing it um, at the back of the track, I, I, you know, I tell you that. So I think that he and the team really need to, to show off their stuff, if only because Piastri, you know, I think, having the home crowd and them having someone else get behind now that Daniel Ricciardo is not there. Oh, blimey. Imagine if they swapped out um, Lando Norris for Daniel Ricciardo for this one race. I'd have two Australian drivers in the uh, <laughs> at Melbourne. I think I think the Australians would be able to cope. They'd start storming the track um, <laughs> in support. Um, but I think, I think my eyes are certainly going to be on McLaren just because I need to see them getting, you know, getting some more performance out there, getting those mm. points they desperately need to say they just this week, they demonstrated that they had um, opened their state of the art wind tunnel. They've got work day now signed on to their car as well. So, so maybe that's what they've been missing this whole time. Some, you know, system for finance, HR and planning. It's going to propel McLaren to the top. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to really need to see them pull something quite interesting out of the bag. Um, I, I would like them to to finish at least in seventh and eighth place, mm. if not better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In a similar fashion, I'm going to have my eyes on both drivers at Alfa Romeo Ferrari because there were high hopes for me personally of this team moving forwards. We got Andreas Seidel coming in as well. You thought things are on the up, but not really setting the world alight. They've scored points once, that being a P8 for Mr. Bottas uh, in Bahrain, but I mean, a shocking display by both drivers really in Saudi Arabia. Hampered by the strategy, granted, was Valtteri Bottas, but Jaguar knew. I mean, he's one of those drivers who we thought was going into his own and going to improve and get better with time and show why he was in Formula 1 and that it was not just all about the money he brought in, but I've not been too impressed by him so far, so he, Bottas, Alfa Romero need to go and show why Audi are right to back them, why they're right to go on this new project and why really they're better than their previous cycle of success then regress because that's been the cycle so often for that team when I'd like to change, please. And it seems that's all we've got time for in terms of episode 6 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or elsewhere. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter and on TikTok, our handle being F1 in Review. And we look forward now to round three, as we were saying about the Australian Grand Prix coming up. If you're watching, listening or indeed keeping up with it in the UK, 
qualifying on Saturdays at 6pm, that being British summertime, that being April the 1st, uh, there's someone's, someone's uh, certain birthday out here, and then uh, race is on Sunday, 6am, that being British summertime as well, if you're watching, keeping up, or indeed listening in the UK, and we will of course be back to dissect, look forward and delve deep into all the good things, bad things, and things in between from round three of this season. Until next time, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in about a week's time.